0: Anyway, hi. <laughs> I, I had I had like we we did these dinners. You're all invited to. Them if you if you didn't know, last week we invited you guys to some dinners. And just, anyway, so we uh, we had all this uh, Mexican food on Friday night. My wife and I both had like crazy dreams. I mean, crazy. I'm not gonna tell you hers, but mine was like I was like on a bus. Which is crazy to be, you know, driving from Orkut to Santa Maria, and some guys with like guns held us all up, and it ended up where I was like running down an alley, ah, right? And you wake up and your heart's racing, I'm like, <sighs> and I can't go to sleep, ruined the whole night's sleep. <laughs> Only happened, to me, never happens to you, never. And you go, well, I'm best on I should just go pee. I'm already up. You know. <laughs> I probably won't see that next arrest. Okay, so Uh hopefully, if, if you are new, uh, there are journey guides kind of around the room. Grab one if you don't have one. Uh, the journey guides going to be walking us through this whole idea of planting roots and it's five, this five-week journey that we're on. Uh, all the sermon notes are going to be in those journey guides. So grab one. Hopefully, now, if you've been here for a few weeks kind of going through this and going through the journey guide, my wife and I are, are doing it together. We're able to talk about some of the things in it. Uh, if you have kids... Uh, we would totally encourage you to be doing this with your kids as well. Uh, there's a, a section for kids like elementary, and there's one that uh, James wrote some questions for teenagers. Uh, those are like in different colors. You'll see those in there because we want everybody to kind of go through this together. Whether you ever decide to do at the end or not, just go through it together because it's going to make you work through some issues of money and treasure and what all that stuff looks like. And it's really good for your kids to see you go through that. It's really good for, to see them, you know, see you as you begin to allow Jesus to work in your life and the process that you go through. So your kids can be like, oh, I need to understand that money doesn't own me. I need to own it. So ha- be, a, be a good idea to go through those journey guides uh, with Kids. Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, again, the sermon notes are these journey guides, but we either still is what's called a U version. If you have a smartphone, you can download this app. It's called U version. Click on Live. It'll bring us up into GPS, but you're only going to get the verses. You're not going to get all the notes and stuff. Again, that's all in the journey guide. So why don't you stand with me through reading of God's Word? And we'll go through this. This is 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would teach us to be a people who learn how to be content, uh, who trust you for the things that you have brought into our lives, and that that contentment can then spread out to everything that we do. That We can be a people who trust you and the, your provision in our lives and live lives in great joy honoring who you are. Amen. MC. All right, so this is the Sermon on the Mount, week 32, or Planting Roots, week 3, however you want to look at it. They both work. Uh, we are in a section of the Sermon on the Mount that the American church hates to talk about because it deals with money, but you are element, so you love it. We always hate talking about money because we think none of us have it. We think everybody else wants to take it from us and we become stingy and miserly and we worship ourselves. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start up this morning and give you some hard words. Okay, Some hard words. You are warned. Go with me. The number one thing that you must understand is that there is one God and you are not him. And you are not him. God is holy someone else. God spoke and created everything. Therefore, all things belong to him. All things were made for his glory to reflect that glory, to be used for his purposes. In creation, there's supposed to be harmony and purpose and love. And now everything kind of comes together. Early in the scriptures, you see that God makes human beings. This is like the crowning achievement. God calls it very good. And what God does is he takes this great creation he has made and he puts it underneath these people and says, you're going to have stewardship and responsibility over all of creation. I'm going to give it to you. Steward it rightly. Use it well. And what does the first man and first woman do? And everybody ever since, we use it for ourselves. We use it all to ourselves. We worship ourselves and not our God. And what you have to understand is the gospel of Jesus Christ is not blessing you so you can be glorified. A lot of Christians have been told a different gospel. Have your best life now. That's all a different gospel. It's not you so you can fulfill your potential. We already fulfilled our potential and Jesus had to die because of our sin. That's what we did. And there's a bizarre teaching out there that God is there to bless us. Uh, that is idolatry. That is idolatry. Now, God does bless us. I mean, Sermon on the Mount, you see this over and over and over that God does bless his people. But that's because God is a God of grace and love and hope. And so God does bless. But when we think God isn't blessing us the way that we want, we get mad at him. We say, God, I'm supposed to be rich. I'm supposed to be married. I'm supposed to be having better sex. God, what are you doing in my life? Because we think it's my body and my money and my days. That is American individuality. It is not Christianity. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6.20, You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And that means everything that we do. It means Uh, how you work how you love your family how you raise your kids we honor him in all that we do this is the idea that when jesus died for us we were once slaves to sin and death and now we belong to god god transforms us with his love and grace so we belong to him there is no third option given to us anywhere in scripture where god frees us to self-actualize that's not what god does Romans 1.6 says, And you also are among those who are called belong to Jesus Christ. That is the heart of Christianity, belonging to Jesus Christ. Right there, that's it. How this relates to us is that my time now becomes Jesus' time. My days become Jesus' days. My money is Jesus' money. My body is Jesus' body. Before in our lives, all these things could dishonor God. Now they're redeemed. They're at His disposal. This includes everything that we do. Now, when you start to look through the Scriptures, you notice something very interesting that we don't really get so much today. The Bible really never teaches a difference between spiritual and physical. We are all one person. That means whatever you do, even your work is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. We're not these separate, we are one being. And that means your work is spiritual. Your work is part of your treasure, your work is part of your blessing. I told you back at Easter that if you work and go into the workforce, you will spend upwards of 100,000 hours of your life at a job. That means it's an enormous part of your life, and so it should connect to Jesus because he is over all. Your job should be part of God's work in the world. Why? Because God works. Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything, and he calls it good. He works hard, he works well. John chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, God the Father is working, and so am I. If you go to Genesis 2, you see God made us to work. It's a good thing. It's healthy. God intends for us to work hard and to work well. What happens in Genesis chapter 3, though, is you hit this thing and it's called the fall. We sin. We take all that God gave us and we use it for ourselves and not for him. We break relationship with each other. We break relationship with God. And since that time, everything is kind of cursed. The ground always wants to fight against us. Nothing ever stays like we want it to. You go buy a brand new car. Two weeks later, they're sending you a call notice, saying, oh, your seat can fly through the window and you can die. Why don't you bring it back in? We'll fix that for you. I mean, it's crazy. Nothing ever, like, stays brand new. Everything goes downhill. And Christian thinking has been so corrupted throughout the ideas, uh, throughout the ages on this idea of work. It starts with a guy named Plato. Okay, Plato, not, not like, hey, I'm making Plato, it's so great and wonderful, but there's this guy. And he teaches that there's two dimensions to reality. He said there's the physical and the spiritual. And the physical isn't beneficial and it's also not important. The things that matter are these spiritual things. He called this the world of the forms. This in the early church led to something called Gnosticism, and that God spoke to people by secret revelation that nobody else knew. And that food and pleasure and sex and work is all evil. Anything that requires labor labor should be abandoned. Only spiritual things mattered. And by the way, parenting and friendships were not spiritual. They're not. So it's teaching a segregation that Scripture never taught. And yet this still has vestiges in our world today. They say, oh, if you're really spiritual, you'll go into full-time ministry. You know, what does that mean? Oh, you go work at a church. This led to a view of the priesthood throughout the ages of these men who didn't have sex, they never got married, they didn't eat good food, they didn't have good drink, they didn't have any pleasure, they're poor, they didn't own anything, and yet they are the most spiritual, they are the most holy, they are the most wonderful. You know what the scriptures tell you to do? The scriptures teach you, you know, get a job, get married, work hard, have some kids, eat good food, work your responsibilities. That's what it teaches us. God blesses us so we'd be a blessing to the earth our life is not meant to be detached from our spirituality it all goes together today we still have that same view if you ask people what's the most holy job a lot of people will say oh to be a pastor oh you gotta like sir have you met me I go places, and it's like, oh, let's have that guy pray. He's a pastor; he must be closer to God than me. My friends even do this to me. I'm like, you know me? You're way more holy than I am. You know, I'm just got to throw that out there. The Bible doesn't teach this whole segregation. Again, Greek dualism where it comes from. Anybody here ever went to a youth group or raised in a youth group, growing up? Okay. Now, what typically happens in a youth group when you're growing up is you get told certain things like, oh, if you're really spiritual and, and really holy, uh, you'll go to Bible college and you'll be a pastor or you'll go be a missionary or something like that. The scriptures never teach that. I mean, seriously, anybody who's not in Bible college, not a missionary, not a pastor, what, JV Christians? Like, oh, hey, you know, the plumber isn't a godly man or the guy who makes cookie dough at the Nestle factory? It's a holy job. <laughs> There's a holy job. And we need toilets, too. Okay? Toilets are very important. I mean, where would you be without a toilet? Exactly. Exactly. Right? You want to go back to the Old Testament and dig a hole whenever you got it? You, just, you don't want it to happen. Okay? It's, it's a holy job. Your job is holy because you do it because you do it that's something you must understand everything is spiritual this is why when you get a job take it seriously work it hard work it well I know so many people who try so hard and they finally get a job and they're there six months and after their six months they're like a whiner like everybody else who works there oh my job's horrible oh I hate this and yet they wanted it so bad to begin with you know what if you hate your job look for another one but don't complain while you're at your job work it hard work it well work it like you're working for Jesus Ah. You're welcome bosses everywhere, okay? Because when you work hard and when you work well, you will begin to make an income. And money is not a bad thing. I think you should all work hard and work well and make lots of it. Just don't let it become your God. Now, it's why we started like we did in planting roots a couple weeks ago with the fatherhood of God, who he was. Last week, we hit the First Timothy verses where we kind of looked at and showed that, you know, we do have plenty uh, looking at the rest of the world. We are kind of in that rich category, making sure we know all the blessings that we have received, that we're starting to use them properly. Now, today, we're going to kind of walk through this section in Matthew of the treasure in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's open to Matthew chapter 6. These are things that Jesus has spoken about before. He speaks about them again in other places. Uh, how we see things with the right kind of eyes, uh, money, what we treasure most. Matthew six nineteen starts like this. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. You're thinking, well, thieves don't break in and steal. Mine's in a bank. It's FDIC insured. It's all going to be okay. You know that a few years ago, you guys know this, right? Nine banks were mismanaged and were about to go under, right? Okay, right. A lot of people's treasure were kept in a place where thieves broke in and they stole. In these nine banks, they received 32 billion dollars of bailout money. We got to bail them out to keep our money. We gave them money. Okay, whatever. I can't comprehend it, okay? Uh, again, $32 billion from the government. The government doesn't have their own money. They, they kind of print the money a lot right now, but they don't have their own money. They take our money and do this. Now, after the game, them $32 billion, 4,793 executives in these nine banks got bonuses of a million dollars or more. <gasps> I know. you got to be kidding, right? You, you lose my money. You take more money to put my money back in there and say, oh, we didn't lose your money. And then you give 4,793 bonus. People, bonus. Ah! just drives me. I don't, I don't want to be judgmental here. Okay? <laughs> Can I be an executive? I'll, I'll take it. And I'll give a lot of... Where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is there, your heart will be also. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? What do you do? Well, if you've been around Element for any length of time, you know that when Jesus talks about heaven, it's not just a future reality. I mean, it is a future reality, but it's also a present one as well. Matthew 5.3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is is a present term. So on the mountain about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, here and now. How do we lay up treasures here and now? This is understanding where we started, that God is God overall, that everything is spiritual, uh, our work and what comes in, everything can be used to be a blessing. Now, this word treasure shows up all over the scriptures. I have this word lay up where it says lay up treasures. The word lay up means to keep. It means to keep something somewhere. It's this word it's called tesarizo. It sounds like Klingon, I know, but it's not. Uh, the word treasure, uh, it's this place where you keep your treasure. It's like Thesaurus, Thesaurus, like, Woo! you know, again, it sounds like Klingon. It means where you keep your heart is where your entire life is going to lay. That's what it means. And so if your heart is kept with another person or, or with money or with Jesus, that's where your entire life is going to lay. I'll show you two places. Open to First Timothy chapter 6. Page 644 in the Element Bible, if you got one of those. By the way, and this is where Jesus starts. As for the rich in this present age, and last week we looked at this idea that we, according to the eyes of the rest of the world, we're pretty rich. The first verse we started with this morning is Matthew 6, 6 through 8, where Jesus says, or where Paul says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, and you guys don't have food, there's some in the back, and you're all dressed, and that's a good thing. It doesn't like the emperor's new clothes. This morning, says, so with these we will be content." Now the verses we looked last week makes a lot more sense. Matthew six or First uh, Timothy six seventeen to nineteen. He says, "As for the rich in this present age, that's us. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly." Life. This is why we spent last week talking about these first Timothy sections so it would make a lot more sense when we got to it today. To be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves. Those are the same root words that Jesus uses in Matthew 6. How do you store up? It is good to others, being generous, being kind, laying up treasure in heaven. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, page 566. I'm trying to do that more. I'm trying to be nice to you. Uh, Luke 12 is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. It's a, it's a story about greed. And in Luke chapter 12, starting verse 15, Jesus kind of goes here. It says, uh, He said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So watch out, because your life does not consist of the things that you possess. He says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. So apparently, he did have a place to store his crops. Okay? And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, because he talks to him about himself in the third person, like Bob Dole, I guess. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Okay, so this guy is a farmer, and if you don't know, farmers work hard. Farmers work well. Uh, I will speak for farmers this, this morning. Uh, for a couple years when I first got married, I worked on a farm. I moved sprinkler pipe like 5 a.m. every day. I know our winters don't get that cold, but the middle of the winter, those things are full of ice, and they are heavy. And I'm built like a junior high girl. So it's really, really hard to have sprinkler pipes at 5 a.m. But I got there and did it. Uh, my stepdad used to have a dairy farm. Now, dairy farms, you gotta milk cows twice a day. 1 a.m. and 1 p.m. is when they had to milk theirs. 1 a.m., 1 p.m. at, every single day. It's not like it's Christmas, you can go to your cow and go, hey, cow, it's Christmas, take the day off. Right? They still produce milk. you got to be out there every single day. They eventually sold the cows and they're going straight farming. Farmers are really the ultimate heroes. They work hard. They work well. This guy has a huge harvest. He's probably like head of the rotary or something. It says, but God said to him, fool! And that's really harsh language in the Bible and if I actually translated how it really said you guys would run me out of here. Or you'd laugh and go, that's just Aaron. This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure, same words, for himself and is not rich toward God. Lay up treasure. What's the issue here? The issue is that he wasn't generous. He was self-serving. Like we talked about the two-year-old last week, no and mine, that's how this guy lives. No, God, everything is mine. And so Jesus, when he starts talking about laying up treasure, these verbs that he uses are all over the place in the scriptures. Go back to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll keep going where we're at. Because Jesus now uses a Hebrew idiom. And if you don't understand what's going on in the scripture, you might think Jesus is like schizophrenic or ADD. Because Jesus is like treasure, money, squirrel, money, masters. But he's not. It all goes together. Matthew 6, 22. So Jesus starts in 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You're like, where did that come from? We're just talking about money. Now he's talking about eyeballs. What's, what's going on with that? Well it's kinda of like today. There are two polar opposites in Christianity. There's what's called prosperity theology, where people who are rich think rich people are really holy, and there's poverty theology where people who are poor think poor people are really holy. Which one does Santa Maria have more of? Poverty theology. Why? Because we're all poor. And that's that, that's kinda of how it works. Rich people think rich people are holy, poor people think poor people are holy. You know what God says? You're all wicked. You're all wicked. There you go. You're all on the same level. And, and if you think poverty is it, you can do it. It is attainable. All right? According to the scriptures, poverty and wealth are not the issue. It's wickedness and righteousness. There are the righteous rich and the righteous poor. There are the wicked rich and there are the wicked poor. It's not a money issue. It's a God issue. Proverbs twenty-two-two says, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The issue is The Lord, love and obedience of God and who he is. Now, some people live in poverty because of tough circumstances, and they refuse to lie and cheat to get ahead. Some people are in poverty because they won't work, they do drugs, they're lazy, they're unambitious. I have sympathy for the righteous poor, the underpaid guy who works really, really hard to make ends meet. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for the unrighteous poor, the guy who is too lazy to work and acts like the entire world's out to get him. But when Jesus normally talks about this stuff, he talks more about these greedy people who refuse to give anything they have. And so someone who is greedy in this culture, in a Hebrew sense, they were said to have a bad eye. They're always looking how to get more and take more at the expense of others. A generous person would have what was called a good eye. Do you have a good eye or a bad eye towards something? Do you always think the world's out to get you? Do you feel like a victim all the time? Oh, I can't believe this is always happening to me. You have a bad eye. You have a bad eye. You're looking at the world thinking everything's against you. Or do you see everything good or bad, whatever it is, as coming from the hand of God? As God will bring me joy, he will walk me through this. He is good. That is a good eye. Now, Hebrews had these words. Uh, They had this word called ayen tovah. Ayen tov is like the the root word for good. So ayen is like I, so it's good uh, or I, good. And then you had uh, ayen raya. Raya is the word for evil or bad, so it would be like I. Bad. Jesus uses this metaphor when he talks, but he's, you know, talking here in in Greek and not Hebrew, so he has to make it kind of connect. I'm going to read this to you out of NIV. It's written just a little bit differently. He says, The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If you are generous, it's going to affect your entire life. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Why? Because everything is spiritual. Everything. And then he moves on from this to no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and your stuff. You know, what do you have, a good eye or a bad eye? It's going to affect everything that you do in your life. And this relates to you and I. Are we content? Are we always looking for something more? Does your eye always wander to something else, something other than what you've been given? At Christmas time, you get like a gift and then go to your friend's house. and like, oh, I really wish I had that. You know, oh, that's that's a bad eye. Always looking for something else. When I was growing up, I always wanted everything my brother had. It's so my older brother had a nicer room. I always wanted his room. I wanted his toys. I wanted his friends. I just, everything that he had, his capabilities. I always had a bad eye. Is your eye such that no matter what it sees, it always wants more? I told you guys this story before, uh, but this is what really opened my eyes up. Uh, no pun intended, to, to what this actually looks like in our lives. About 10 years ago, it was Christmas time, my wife and I went to visit her family in New Hampshire, and I hate being in the airport. So we get off the plane, I go to the baggage claim, ugh, grab my bag, get my rental car, and we are out. Later we get to her aunt's house, because that's where we stay, and I get ready to take a shower, because i got to wash all the planes come off you, because they just recycle it and stick it on you, in the plane the whole time. It's horrible, it's horrible. It's like eating the samples at Costco. Anyway... I don't need samples. there want some samples. Everybody breathes on that. Not touching it. Anyway, I'm neurotic. Okay, Get to our aunt's house. That had nothing to do with the message, by the way. Okay, so I, get to, so I get to her aunt's house, and I open up my bag, and all of a sudden, either the TSA agent decided to like put on all my underwear and stretch it 20 sizes, or it's not my bag. Which one do you think it was? Not my bag. I grabbed the wrong bag, and oh, it's horrible. I mean, I can imagine the poor guy at like the baggage carousel going... Looks like it, but not mine. Looks like it, but not mine. You know, and so, okay, so so I call, you hit the phone vortex, you know, two hours later, you're finally getting a hold of somebody, hey, I don't have my bag, do you have my bag? We don't know. Then I'm all upset, like it's their fault and not mine, because I'm the one who actually did it. All my stuff could be gone. What am I going to do? Toothbrushes are really hard to replace. You know, and then I think, well, what if that other guy who's watching it goes around, and he decides to take it home. You know, he's 20 sizes bigger than me. He puts my underwear on. <laughs> then I'll bring it back. Here you, here you go. So I go back to the airport. I got the bag, you know, and, and you go to that lost luggage counter, and those are the happiest people in the world. They're <laughs> just, just waiting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. They're like, I'm going to punch you in the face. You know, it's, and this is Christmas, right? Okay, now, fast forward. You know, two years later, my wife and I are actually home for this Christmas, and, and on the TV comes this, this photo, and it says, island, on December 25th, and on December 26th, there's another aerial photo, and the island's half buried in water and sand. You start seeing these videos that start coming out, where there's all these people on the beach, and this wave hits, and there's nobody on the beach. There's a ticker on the bottom, it starts saying, you oh, know, 50,000 dead, 60,000 dead, could be 100,000 people dead. And I don't know why God did this for me, but he made me think back to losing my luggage back then, and and all of a sudden my eyes really opened, you know, between what was temporary and what's actually eternal. Everything came into a different perspective. This is one of the things we want Planting Roots to do for you, is we want it to give you a good eye where you see the difference between things that are simply temporary and things that are actually eternal. It is easy to replace your toothbrush and even your stretched out underwear, Right. You know, but, but in the grand scheme, why do we care so much? I don't even think we realize how deep our connections are with our money and things till somebody wakes us up. I don't think we realize how our eyes have been bad or good until we open our eyes and see until God does something in us. You ever have an experience where somebody borrows something from you and it comes back with a scratch on it and it gets under your skin? You're like, oh, really, why do we care so much? In in Luke chapter 19, Jesus goes into a place called Jericho. The truth is so profound that there's a tax collector there. His name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus realizes he is connected more to his stuff than to his God. And he starts to realize, I've got to have a better eye towards all of these things. When Zacchaeus meets Jesus, the connection with his stuff gets severed in light of his new and profound love for Christ. And that's what we want Planting Roots to do for you guys. To help you to see the things that are Eternal. Now, my wife and I, we are not wealthy really in American terms, but we give a very good chunk of our income to Element because we realize how often it is that our eyes get off of what Jesus calls us to be and onto our stuff. Our stuff gets its hooks into us. I mean, we even realize this as we're going through this journey guide and talking about some of these things, how it just gets our hooks, those hooks into us. And when we start giving, it reminds us that our money is not ours. I would rather learn to give more and more and more because it gives me greater freedom. Because the point is not that God wants your money. He wants you to live in freedom with a good eye. God always wants us free. And it's why I believe Jesus talks so much about money. Because we become connected to our stuff in a way that is completely unhealthy. It becomes like God-like worship. And we don't even know how connected we are to our stuff until your neighbor backs into it. Or your kid breaks it. Or your dog scratches it. And now only 9 of 10 songs play right. Which is okay if it's country music. Okay. We go berserk, but really, why do we go berserk? Have you ever had a fracture in a relationship because of money? Oh, they borrowed something, they never paid it back, or I borrowed from them and I never paid it back, and oh my God. Have you ever had a fracture like that? Jesus wants us free. It's why he proceeds the way that he does. Treasure. What do you do? Your eyes see, and then he goes to stuff in verse twenty-four. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Just like there are two ways to look at things, there's two masters: God and money. There are two words for serve used in the Scripture. One is it's a choice to serve. Like if you have a gospel community or some friends and someone's moving and they ask you to help them move, you can say yes or no. If no one's ever asked you to help them move, buy a truck. You will be everybody's buddy. It's just how it works, right? <laughs> Jason's got a truck. He knows this. So you know, and so and that's the thing. And you, when someone asks you, you can say yes or no. Now the other word used in the Scripture for serve is the word doulos, and it means slave. You have no choice whatsoever. When Jesus says you can be, you know, a slave to God or money, you know which one He uses? Doulos, slave. No choice involved no one can be a slave to two masters you can't be a slave to God and to money at the same time why because one is freedom and one is bondage you will hate the one and love the other be devoted to the one and despise the other do you hate it when people talk about money do you hate it when a church goes through a planting roots journey do you hate it when you got to talk about these things you may be trying to serve two masters you can only serve one There's this amazing thing that happens in Matthew 2 with the, with the Christmas story when Jesus is born. By the way, 14 shopping weeks till Christmas. Treasure money stuff. There you go. Uh, it's, this is the idea. Okay. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11, these wise men come to Jesus. It says, And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They opened their treasures. We call these guys wise men for a reason. They come to the Christ child. They bow down, knees to the ground, forehead to the ground. They worship Him. They open their treasures, gold, money, frankincense, used in worship of God. And myrrh, which is also used as like an embalming fluid for when somebody died. It's very instructive as to what is going on here. It's everything that they had all of their lives. that were laying down before this child. Everything we have, everything we possess comes from God. Our responsibility is to bow down and worship him and give him everything back that we possess. My wife, as we've been going through this planting roots journey, it's been really crazy for us because, I mean, we we give a good chunk of our income over here and we have this whole budget out how it's going to work. Then we have this little leftover over here with of our play money. And I start planting roots and I'm like, okay, God, what do you want out of my leftover play money over here? Because I already give over here and, you know, what do you want out of this? And God's like, let's deal with your entire life. I'm like, no, let's not. Let's deal with my little leftover play money. God's like, that's not how it works. I'm like, yeah, it is. He's like, no. And so throughout this journey, I mean, God has really been working on my heart. He's really been coming through and saying, let's kind of rechange this and look at this and look at that. I don't want to look at that. I want to clutch. I want to hold on to I want to grasp. I don't want to be the generous person you're calling me to give because I like my stuff. I want to keep my stuff. And God's like, yeah, but I want you free. I want you free. We have a choice. Lay up treasures on earth, like that farmer or treasures in heaven, being good, kind to all. Uh, if we allow our eyes to always be attracted to stuff in this world, you will find it never satisfies. You're only going to want more and more and more and realizing more and more and more and never satisfies. Or we can be a slave to God and live in true freedom. give us some good news in this. There are two simple reasons that God gives us money and things. And number one, this is one of the coolest things, is that God gives them to us to enjoy. You saw this in the first Timothy chapter 6 verse. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possession and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot in life and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. One reason God gives you money and treasure, so you can enjoy it. Isn't he a good God? It's not a sin to have fun with your money. I sleep in a nice bed. My shoes fit. You know, I got an air conditioner in my car for hot days when the flies get all really bad. I bought an electric fly swatter because zap. I know you can't tell, but I love food. I do. I think it's amazing. Pleasure is not evil. You go through the Old Testament, it constantly tells you that pleasure comes from the hand of God. It is what we do with that pleasure. Enjoying your life is not a sin, but it can turn into it when you close your hands and pleasure becomes all about you. This is when we must understand treasure correctly. We thank God for what he has given. We take time to enjoy the stuff God has given to us because God has gone through great lengths for you and I to enjoy his creation. But the second thing, God gives us money and things to be generous and share them. Giving given you lots of verses. I'll give you one more. 1 Corinthians 4.7 For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Some things we enjoy, some things we put into others' hands. Poor, hungry people, Christians in other nations, uh, the work of the local church, if you trust them enough to actually do that as well, you give to them. Again, planting roots. It's why we're doing what we're doing. We must understand that we are not first and foremost primarily givers. We are receivers. Our God is first given to us. God has entrusted you and I with his stuff so we would distribute it. It's meant to flow through us. We're not meant to be the dam that holds everything back. We are meant to be the streams that everything flows through. Why? Because everything is spiritual. Everything. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. What thieves do not breaking in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, you have one God. One God. And it's not you, and it's not your money, and it's not your bank account. We must worship Him. If you have a journey guide on page 33, we gave you two action steps to do this week. Two of them. The first one is this. Find a way to enjoy what God has given you. Do something that enjoys what God has given you. Uh, My wife and I, uh, this last week, we we bought this uh, outdoor table because we want to be able to invite our family over for dinner. Uh, We think that's a, a good and joyful thing to do. It is family, so I would say most of the time, you know, <laughs> you know. So we, so we bought this table. What? You don't have a family? Come on, people. Okay. So, you know, so we bought this table to put outside, so we all kind of sit around, because when they all come over, we, you know, we've got to pull the chairs over, and they're all different heights, so we bought this big outdoor table, put underneath our pergola to kind of eat together. So we, we did something kind of cool with it that we think is going to be a little fun. The second thing we want you guys to do this week is we want you to uh, talk to God and find ways to be generous. You know, open your hands a little bit and don't just talk to God about your leftovers. Allow God to start working in and through your entire life. And as he begins to do that, then share that with your family, either your spouse or your kids. If you're not married, share it with your friends, what God is doing in you, how that process is taking place. Allow them to come alongside you and be part of that journey with you. Enjoy it. Allow God to work through your life because Jesus wants us free with an I that is good towards good things. You know, this, this is the gospel. You know, the, the gospel is that Jesus came to redeem and save his people. He wants us to live in freedom. When he gives us freedom, it's freedom to worship him in spirit and truth rightly. Rightly. This is why we come to communion every single week. It's the place where you take that cracker that reminds us of Christ's body, which was broken for us, so you break it. You dip it in the wine of the grapes. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I so we can live in freedom. So our eyes don't always have to be the way that they were before. Our eyes can be good eyes. Seeing things as God enables us to see them. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you guys, as I said, to take communion. Uh, There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you're in a place where, you know, you feel like you have just a really bad eye and you want to have a better eye, you want to see things different, you want to see things more clearly, but you don't know how to begin doing that, we invite you guys to go and to pray with them. Uh, We invite you guys to uh, spend some time, you know, following who Jesus is in your life. There's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give because God has been so good to us. So we give that opportunity every single week. Uh, We do not pass a plate. It's simply a response to what God is doing in your heart and in your life. There's also food in the back. We invite you guys to grab something to eat and maybe begin to work through some of these things with other people. Talk through them. You know, the the things that you want to grasp onto so strongly where God's like, open up your hands and trust me. I don't trust you. You're going to want me to live in a box. God's like, "I, I don't want you to live in a box, okay? You know, trust me. You can be generous. No, I can't be generous. You're not a good God. God's like, I am a good God. Trust me, I want you free, I want you free. And sometimes the way that God does that is he puts other people in our lives so that we can walk through and talk to these things about, to walk through it with, because it's really good having somebody bounce back to you the things that they hear that you're saying. And for someone to encourage you about how good God actually is. So we trust him in those things. Guys, good eyes. Have good eyes. But I'll tell you those good eyes only come from laying ourselves at the feet of Jesus. He is the one who has loved us. He is the one who redeemed us. Everything of ours is laid at his feet and we trust him to be the good God that he is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us as a people to be those who have good eyes. Eyes that see things the way that you want us to. And the times that we want to hoard and clutch and grasp on to everything that we consider as ours. you would open our hearts in our eyes, in our minds, to truly see the reality around us. The reality that you are God who has given us what we already have. You have given us the talents to be able to do the things that we do. And that we can trust you to place our entire lives into And that includes our treasure. have us be a people and learn how to open our hands and allow you to feel them, to fill them. Because you are a God who is more generous than we could ever imagine, more generous than we could ever conceive. Because while we were lost, while we ran away from you, while we were trying to get away from you, you came. And you paid for everything that separated us from from you and us from each other. You have given us such great grace. I ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand so we would live the lives you call us to. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for redeeming us. Amen.